Uh, <clears throat> amen. We're going to start our continue our series tonight. Uh, followers of the King. Followers of the King. And so, if you have your Bibles, join with me in the book of Mark, chapter one, verse sixteen. And then you can hold your pen in Matthew chapter 20, verse 22. We'll come to that later. But Mark chapter 1, verse 16, then Matthew chapter 20, verse 22. Followers of the King. We're going to talk tonight. uh, We've talked through several of these apostles. We're going to talk tonight uh, about James. And he's called James the Great or James the Greater. Okay. And so travel back with me to the first century. And we are in a land that is very hostile. We are in ancient Israel. And the setting is that we are in the northern part of Israel in a a region called Galilee. Now, Israel has been since taken over by Rome for some time now. And Judaism is in an uphill battle. We've had many, many things been going on in Israel. Tons of uh, compromise and heresy and, and pagan influence in the capital city. Many priests for... Many generations back have uh, ruined the temple, desecrated it, and even killed to become high priests. And there is corruption in Jerusalem. But in Galilee, we find a group of devout, pious Jews in the countryside, much like what we would think of uh, here in central Louisiana. It's a 40-square-mile track of rural rural farmland of hills and fishing. And in the middle is a five-acre or a five-mile-wide sea called the Sea of Galilee. And in this little area is a family, and it's kind of a tight-knit family. And we find a man named Zebedee, and Zebedee is a middle-class guy. He is uh, actually of somewhat reputation in his area, but nobody in Jerusalem would really think much of him. But, but in his area, he's a fisherman. He's got a couple crews, and on those crews is one, uh, John and James. That's his two boys, James being the older and John being the younger. And on the other crew is Peter and Andrew. Good, close family friends. We don't know if they might be related or not. But these, this family is devout. And he's got a wife his, uh, whose name is Salome uh, or Salome, not Salami. Okay. <laughs> All right. That you get, two get confused. Okay. Well, I'll just say we'll say it Salome tonight. And she uh, perhaps is the cousin or rel- relative or sister even of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so these guys are related somewhat, we think, to Jesus. And this is kind of everybody, you know, it's like in in this area. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's related to everybody. So it's no different back then. Blue collar town in a place called Capernaum, or there could be in the area. They kind of lived, uh, these towns are very close knit, kind of how we have Trout and Gina and Bela and all these towns. But you've got Capernaum there and you've got Bethsaida, which means house of fishing on this sea. And this rural area of Gentiles, very conservative, very religious They're very partial to the Pharisees who are speaking against the compromises of their day and all the corruption of their day. And James is growing up in this little middle class family and he's the oldest. And he's this is his mom and dad. And somehow or another, we know there's a character by the name of Jesus. Maybe you've heard of him before. He got kind of popular back in the first century. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Okay, good. We're in a good. Well, Andrew and John become followers of this guy named John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is on the scene preaching repentance in the Jordan River, which is just at the north or the south side of the Sea of Galilee. 
So he's around the edge. He's preaching repentance. Thousands and thousands. A great revival is sweeping through the area of Galilee. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people, even religious people, are coming to this great revival in such a day of corruption. James and or Andrew and John, part of this fishing crew, go and become part of his disciples. And lo and behold, a man comes along and they say, wow, this is the Lamb of God. Behold, John says to these two guys, he says, John and Andrew, this is Jesus. He's the Messiah. You go follow him. The two boys run back to their brothers up to the sea, talk to their mom and their dad and their brothers and say, hey, we know this guy. He is. We found him. He's the Christ. And so here we have this going on. And they're in a normal day now fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Look with me. In Mark chapter 1, verse 16, we've got these two sets of brothers having already heard of Jesus, met Jesus, kind of know who he is, kind of perhaps related to him. And as Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and as they were, for they were fishermen. And then we see in another passage of uh, the Gospels, a miracle happens here where Jesus tells them to throw their net on the other side. They see this great miracle, and Jesus has an interaction with Peter. And then Mark chapter 1 continues. He says, And then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they went after him. And then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and taught. So here we have these four Guys, young men, probably in their late teens, early 20s, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Peter and Andrew are brothers. James and John are brothers. Two sets of brothers now following Jesus, the first four disciples. Three of them will be called the inner circle, the three. They'll know them as the three, Peter, James, and John. We're going to talk about James tonight. Who is James? James, James, or Peter, James, and John now follow Jesus. They get to know some intimate things about him. They get closer to him than other people did. They are the only ones to really be a part of the raising of Jairus' daughter. James begins to follow Jesus. He had calls eight more people. They, um, he calls them to raise the dead and, and to preach the gospel. And he begins training them over the next three years. And James and Peter and John get into this inner circle. They see him transfigured on the Mount of all on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're with him on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're the close inner circle to uh, their close inner circle to Jesus. So there they are. And Jesus, after he calls them and sees and gets to know the character of these men, and perhaps you already knew it. He says, I'm going to call you the sons of thunder. Th- son, he didn't say th- thunder thighs or anything like that. It's sons of thunder. And uh, why is that? Learning a little bit about James and John, you kind of understand, man, we're from a conservative Christian. Well, you don't say Christian in this time, but it would be as if we were a part of a conservative Christian culture. We are against the liberal media of the day. We're against all the politicking in the church that's happening or the, the temple that is happening in Jerusalem. We're against all the pagan influences and idolatries. Rome's coming in. We don't like Rome either. We don't like the compromise of the, of the elite of the Sadducees. But we like those Pharisees because they're back to the Bible movement, kind of what we would call them. And these guys are traditional. They would be the bleed for the country, uh, Republican, Bible, patriotic, American flag waving type of person for us today. That's James and John. And so they come and he says, I'm, I'm calling you sons of thunder. Why the name? In Mark chapter uh, 3, verse 14, he calls them the sons of thunder, Boanerges. 
Because so these Galileans, they're religious, they're hardy, they're industrious, they're brave, they're defenders of the nation. And just like that, James is passionate and zealous and deeply committed to what he believes. But he's also a little short-tempered. And these two fiery guys he names sons of thunder because they are fiery for what they believe in. They're passionate is another way we would say it today. So tonight we're going to talk about two types of passion. One passion and another passion. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but you're going to figure it out in a minute. Which kind of passion do you have? Passion or passion? Okay. So James has got this fiery passion. James, along with his brother, they even have this little bit of energy, a little bit of a temper. We find in Luke chapter 9, they end up uh, condemning a man who is casting out demons in the name of Christ because he wasn't part of our group. And then we find here uh, in the Samaritan time, they begin to go through the town, uh, the region of Samaria. And uh, these Samaritans now, now you have to get this, because Samaritans are the half-blood Jews. They are the ones who stayed during the exile of Israel and they intermarried with all these people and they begin to kind of fade away from the truth of the Old Testament, almost to recreate their own Bible. And so there are a lot of half-truths going on and there's a lot of racial tension and discrimination going on between true devout Jews and Samaritans. Jesus is walking through. He's got the 12 with him. They send somebody ahead, say, hey, we're headed towards Jerusalem and you don't normally go through Samaria. Normally you would go around from Galilee, you'd go around Samaria down to uh, Jerusalem and Judea. But they decided to cut straight through. Jesus is trying to get to Jerusalem on time. They sent an envoy out, a couple guys ahead, say, let's try to get a hotel in the couple up in this town up here. But nobody, because they knew they were Jews and they knew they were uh, with this guy named Jesus who was a Jew and they knew they were headed for Jerusalem, which is the capital of Jews. We're not having you stay in our town. We're just going to keep you all passing through. We don't want your kind here. But James and John said, Jesus, just let us call down fire from heaven, just like Elijah. Let's just do it right here, right now. Let's just be done with this stuff. Come on, Jesus. Let's bring it, bring, come on, Jesus, just bring it down. These guys were fired up because you don't dare. This is the Messiah. This is the King of Kings. Who are you to not let us stay in your rankety-dink hotel? And so they begin to just say, Jesus, come on, let's just, can, can we do it? Here's the thing, though. What did Jesus say? Look with me. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 or 55. Jesus turned, rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Let's go try somewhere else. I want to just think about this for a second, because I what I like about this story is their fervency and their passion for Jesus. They said they said, let uh, Peter. They're asking to say, if. If Jesus, if you'll let us, let us call down fire from heaven, just like Elijah did. Verse 54. Here's the thing. They thought they could do it. How many people have ever thought you could call down fire from heaven? You know, I mean, like that's not a normal thing that happens in our brain all the time. But they're saying, Jesus, if you'll just let us, we'll call down fire from heaven, just like Elijah. Let's just consume these people and just be done with it. Move on. Then you'll really know they're going to take a notice who you are. And he rebukes them. But here's the deal. They at least, at least they had a little bit of a fire. Some, some people say a little fire is better than no fire. I'd rather have wildfire than no fire is what they say, right? Is that true? And that's kind of what I like about these guys. They are le- at least they're passionate about something. Better to be not just dead, wet wood, right? They, at least there's a spark there. And Jesus begins to work with them, begins to shape him. He says, but hey, guess what? 
I didn't come to kill them. I came to save them. And so he rebukes them and they begin to kind of say, what in the world is this guy all about? Okay, so let's keep going on. Jesus knows the gravity of hell. He focuses on the cross. He's here to save mankind. And even though the Samaritans are, are a mixed heritage, they're watering down the Old Testament, even though they're racially tensions, they're discrimination on both sides, even though they just rejected him, I've come to die for them. That's why he's here. So he rebukes their zeal, uh, tells them, hey, you're trying to get revenge and I'm trying to save them. All right. Hey, this isn't the end, though. Here's let's follow James and John a little bit further. James is going with Jesus some more. They go on a few few. I don't know if a few months or uh, some time passes. They're headed even further towards Jerusalem. OK, and so look with me in, in, in Matthew, chapter 20, verse 22. They're continued towards Jerusalem. James, John and their mother. What's their mother's name? Salome or Salome or Salome or, or Salami, whatever you want to call it. We'll know who you're talking about. OK. All right. Uh, and she's she is with these her boys and they're close. This whole family, they're all probably related. Their son, she says, can my son sit on either side of you when you get to heaven? And the brothers ask, too, hey, Jesus, can we where are we going to be? What position are we going to have in your kingdom? Because, come on, we're ready for this. Bring kick out Rome, uh, kick out all these evil priests. Let's have Israel be the nation that's supposed to be. God, raise up a banner. Let's fight for this. Come on. And, they, and he says, what? These guys are passionate for Christ to be king, but they're not uh, privy. They're ignorant to the spiritual nature of this kingdom. So what does he say? Verse 22 he says, Jesus answered and said, you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said to him, we're able. And she's, so he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and my left is not mine to, to give, but it's for those who my father has prepared. And when he heard it, they were greatly displeased, these, these two brothers. So Jesus called them to himself and said, OK, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. But it shouldn't be this way among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. A lot of things we could pack in there and we don't have time to do tonight. But what is he saying? The least shall be first, the greatest shall be last. And we hear these messages preached. But I think about James and their passion for God, their passion for the kingdom, their passion but and, and, and they may even had some of it all right. You know, hey, we've been this guy from the beginning. We're kind of related to him. We've been best friends. We knew about this guy. Uh, we've, we've been in this inner circle. But Jesus begins to turn this question upside down. He says, if you're seeking first place, I'm calling you to be the servant of all. And are you really ready to follow me everywhere I go? <clears throat> I love young people when they get passionate for God. And I wish some of us that were older seasoned saints can continue to keep that passion alive. I find it in my 10 years into ministry that it's a continual fight to keep that passion to keep burning. Because I think there's something to that, that these guys, young and vigorous, man, they had passion for God and passionate for the things of God. There was righteous indignation in their heart about the evil they saw in their day. There was righteous indignation about the corruption and the, the status quo of the day. And so, man, I remember when I was younger and I started preaching, uh, I was really, really harsh on people. 
because I'm just like, come on, stand up and worship. Why we got to coach you? Why? Raise your hands. Let's get to the altar and pray. Let's let's fast. Let's go storm the doors of hell. Come on, church. We're all lost. And I just this energy. And often I was met against a wall and I often it was taken the wrong way or came across in a bad way. Right. Anybody ever heard a preacher preach it? That I mean, you kind of came out with a you just uh, I don't know how I took that. Jesus says, but you have to serve. Got to be the last. James would remain with Christ until the crucifixion. His mother would watch Jesus on the cross along with his brother, John. His mother would even visit the tomb in the garden. Such love for Jesus, this family ended up having. And it was this love for Jesus that changed every single one of them. I'm, re- I'm excited to talk about John with you in a few weeks. But James was called again by Christ with the rest after the resurrection to leave their nets again and come back and preach the gospel. James ended up in the upper room filled with the Holy Spirit. And his passion and fervor for Christ never changed. In fact, his passion led to his passion. Think of it this way, in Luke and in Mark, oh, sorry, in Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, we find out in, in 44 A.D., just a decade and three, or a decade after Christ is uh, killed and martyred in the passion of the Christ, in his passion. Herod, uh, Herod's son, uh, Herod Agrippa I, grandson of Herod the Great, wants to please the Jews. Church is on the rise, Jews are against it. Uh, there's a lot of corruption again in the in the uh, uh, fair, uh, not the in the Pharisees, but also the Sadducees who are ruling the the temple of the day, and they seek to kill all of the church. So the Herod Agrippa who wants to who has wants favor with them, so there won't be any more revolts. He says, "I'm going to pick the most fiery, ardent guy who's had. I'm going to pick the guy who's uh, who's out there who's going to make us who by killing him is going to make a statement. Who do you think he picked? James. What a reputation." That when the world comes to say, I want the guy who's going to, when he dies, it's going to make an impact on the church. I want to I make a statement by killing that person. Because they are a guy who's out front, who's vocal, who's preaching against the status quo of the day, who's not afraid to look uh, evil in the eye and call it what it is. And they pick James. But here's the thing, though. At that time, Herod stretched out his hand and harassed some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. What was it about James and his fiery passion for Jesus, this son of thunder? On that Passover, ten years after the Passover of Christ, James' passion led him to follow the passion of Christ. I want you to think about that. There is a fervor and a, and a passion and a, what we call a zeal, an emotional zeal, a, a passion that is that strong emotion. But James' strong emotion, James' passion, led him to the passion, which is the passion of Christ, which the word passion actually means suffering. I think there's something to be said about us when we get passionate for the things of this day and we, we get fired up about what we see on TV. We get fired up about what we see on the left and the right side of politics. We get fired up about what we think is going on in this world. And I think there's a lot of lessons we can take as conservative Christians from James. Is that Jesus says, that's great, I love your passion. But don't let your passion have any prejudices in it. 
He said, actually, the very people you have a prejudice against is the people I'm calling you to serve. I think about how how many people who are conservative Christians on the right side of politics would be willing to serve the people on the left side of politics. Wash some people's feet, mow some people's yards, be those there for those people when they're sick or they're injured or there's things going on in their life. Or even how about just be nice on Facebook? Man, it got quiet. Hmm. See, it's good to have that wildfire and that passion. But like James, that passion has to turn into a passion for Christ. And really, it's the passion of Christ. James would give up his life for the sake of following Jesus to be last, to very, 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 very last. No greater love than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. He would love Jesus so much that he would make good on his promise. He said, Jesus said, are you willing to drink for the cup? You have a passion. You got passion. I love it. But are you willing to go all the way with me and trade your passion for my passion? It's good to have passion. But if it don't lead to the same passion that led Jesus to the cross, it's just wildfire for no good. I want us to think about tonight. Although James sometimes passed judgment too quickly, sometimes he was selfish, sometimes... He was, had things in the wrong order, but he was radically devoted to Christ. God uses imperfect people. But perhaps James does represent us in so many ways that we radically love God, but perhaps we don't really demonstrate that love outwardly like we should. Perhaps we've got some pride and anger inside our righteous indignation. Perhaps we are mad about the things that we see today. Perhaps we do have good cause and good reason. To be the way that we are and to be that, that, that holy anger comes up within us. But if our passion doesn't lead to the passion of the Christ, it's no passion Jesus wants at all. And I want us to challenge ourselves and let our passion not be, our passion for Christ not be misguided by our prejudices. And James remind us not to be selfish, but to be servants. It's not about where I'm getting in my, my walk. My, I'm trying to get up here with Jesus. I'm trying to be the best Christian I can be. But by, the, by so feeling that in our hearts, he's saying, no, just go serve those people. Let's go serve some Samaritans. Let's go die, James, for Samaritans. Let's go, let's go die for those liberal Democrats and those people on the left. Let's go die for those homosexuals. Let's go die for those people who, who don't look like us and talk like us and don't have the same values as us and really won't treat you right at all. Really, they won't accept you at all. They wouldn't let you even stay in their town. They won't even uh, acknowledge your presence. Let's go die for those people, James. And then show me where your passion is. May your passion be the passion of the Christ. James' passion was changed because he followed the passion of Christ. And Jesus' way is sometimes often radically different than our own, but his values, we want them to be our values. Amen? What a powerful lesson from James. So let's think about that for a moment. I just want us to pray that back to God.